0: Welcome to the Connect Church podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, hey, Connect. It's good to see you all this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Chris. Get to serve on the team here. And just thrilled that you decided to come gather with us today. We're kicking off a new series that we're calling At Odds with God, and it's through the book of Jonah. And we're going to do that because we all have times in life when we're at odds with God. Maybe you've heard God loves you and wants a relationship with you, but you just don't want anything to do with him. Uh, Maybe... You know that that God loves them, but but you don't. You don't even like them, so you just choose to avoid them all together. Or, you know, we're aware that God has a purpose for us to fulfill, but it's not really our plan, so we decide to go with our plan versus God's purpose. Uh, Eight years ago, I was graduating from Denver Seminary, had been working part-time in a church, and upon graduation was excited to have a full-time job working in a church. Amanda and I love living in Colorado. We had zero intentions of ever leaving. And uh, on top of that, we knew that, you know, one day God's probably calling us to plant a church, but right now we just need an opportunity, a season to serve in a healthy church, a healthy, established church, where we could heal from some past hurt and at the same time just learn from people who are wise and loving leaders. Now. Knowing, okay, I want a full-time job. We want to be in Colorado. I applied for jobs up and down the front range, all over. Countless positions I applied for. And well, there was one evening as graduation was approaching when Amanda and I were walking down the South Platte Trail and we were just weighing and discussing all of the options, which I'll be honest with you, weren't many. We had two options. Uh, option one was to go be part of a church plant in Evergreen Sounded kind of cool if you asked me. We'd be living in the mountains, but still close to Denver. But we both knew "Ah, it's not the time. Like, we don't feel like it's yet. We feel like we really need to be an established church first. The other option, option two, was to move to Maine and go be the groups and young adults pastor at the church I grew up at. The position was perfect. The leadership, the staff was healthy. And we knew, like, oh, there's a lot of really good things here. It's kind of what we're looking for. It's just well, from our perspective, in the wrong state. We want to live in Colorado. So we're weighing these options, we're discussing them, and as we walk by this giant tree next to a little pond on the South Platte Trail, I just asked Amanda, I mean, I, at a loss, I was like, okay, sweetie, like if you had to pick between church planting and moving to Maine, what would you pick? And with with uh, just a, a resolve a, a conviction in her voice she said without even thinking about it neither <laughs> okay that that pretty much settles it then and you know that's kind of how that's how we felt in that moment and at the same time deep down we had this this unsettled angst because there was a lot about that main opportunity that seemed like God was leading us in that direction. Uh, For one, the pastor who reached out to me, asking me to consider it, was a guy I deeply respect. And he was telling me, it's like, no pressure, but when I was praying about who should fill this role, you came to mind. No one else did. No pressure, though. (laughs) And we were like, okay. So, you know, we process it, and we didn't wanna go. We didn't. And, you know, there are times in all of our lives where we sense God might be moving in a direction and we don't want to be a part of it. There are times when we're all at odds with God. But what happens when we're at odds with God? What happens when our plan collides with God's purposes? What happens when we hear God say, go, but we don't want to? Or even worse, we start running in the opposite direction. What happens then? Well, that's why we're going to take a look at the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah. If you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to Jonah 1. We're gonna pick up the story, the beginning in just a moment here. If you need a Bible, got an app, you can follow along, take notes there. But, but the book of Jonah is an interesting one. You see, it's part of the collection of the books of the Bible called the Minor Prophets. Now, typically through these prophetic books, God speaks to His people through the prophet. But Jonah, well, the book of Jonah is different. It's not about God speaking through the prophet to his people. It's a story about the prophet Jonah. And there's a lot of debate around whether or not Jonah is a historical account, like it's a story, and we should read it as historical narrative, or if it's just a symbolic story to prove a point. In Matthew 12, Jesus references Jonah, and it seems like he references as if it really happened, So we're going to interpret it as such. But you know what? Here's the deal. At the end of the day, whether you think the story of Jonah is history or a symbolic story doesn't really matter unless you're in a seminary classroom debating something that's frankly irrelevant to our faith. The point is not irrelevant, but whether or not Jonah lived and was swallowed by a fish and then came back out, like the principle is the same. And the principle for the the story of Jonah is this. We're going to see this throughout. God loves and extends his mercy to all people, even those at odds with him. So will you turn to or, or excuse me, turn from or turn toward God? The the story of Jonah is one that messes with us because in it everything is backwards and upside down from what we'd expect. Uh, There are stereotyped characters who do the exact opposite of what we would expect of them. Uh, today we call a story like this satire. Anyone remember satire from their English class, high school? Yeah, think uh, like Jane Austen or George Orwell. They're famous authors that write in this kind of that wrote in this kind of style. Well, in satire, uh, what happens is well-known figures are are placed in some extreme circumstances, and then the author will use humor and irony to point a finger at them pointing out their stupidity, their character flaws. And as we look at the story of Jonah, at times it's going to feel like we're looking in the mirror because we're going to recognize some of the oddities about ourselves. And like the characters in the story, we're going to be left with a choice to make. Will we live at odds with God or will we live united with him? Now before we jump in let's pause let's pray let's just ask god speak to each one of us now lord we come before you we thank you for your word we thank you for the story of jonah and as we open it up and we look at it would you speak to us through your word now would you speak to each and every one of us and would you reveal what you need to reveal to us and would we see you god all the more clearly we ask this in jesus name amen The story begins in Jonah 1, 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So who's Jonah? Well, in verse 1, we see he's the son of Amittai. Amittai in Hebrew, uh, that name means truth or faithfulness. This is ironic because Jonah struggled on these fronts. Uh, for one, the only other time in Scripture that we're introduced to this person, Jonah, was back when King Jeroboam II was ruling over Israel. He was a really bad dude, horrible king. And Jonah had gone to him and, and said, hey, you can expand your territory like this. So the king did, and all seems good until we later find out that God sent prophet amos to go to king jeroboam ii as well and reverse what jonah had told him so we kind of wonder okay was jonah telling the king the truth or was he just saying what he wanted to hear i don't know Uh, whether jonah spoke the truth on on the behalf of god or, or not and he just said what he wanted to say one thing that was definitely a struggle for jonah was faithfulness God commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh. The, the, that was the capital city of Assyria, the enemy of the Israelites. Now, this was, a, this was a tall task. This was a hard assignment. But God says, hey, go to Nineveh and, and preach against it. They need to know what's coming. But Jonah wanted nothing to do with that. Jonah, the great prophet of God, who of all people should know that when God says go, you go. He flat out disobeyed God. He ran in the opposite direction. Uh, Listen to this, verse three. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So God told Jonah, go northeast to Nineveh. And I want you to preach there. But Jonah goes southwest to Joppa. And then he gets on a boat to go even further west to Tarshish. That was the the furthest place known to Israel. Uh, Today we'd say something like, from here to Timbuktu. Like, Jonah is getting out of Dodge. God says, go this way, Jonah's running this way. Flat out disobeying God. And there are times in our lives where we run from God too, don't we? Uh, Sometimes we run from God consciously. Maybe. Uh, it's the traditional sex, drugs, and alcohol, and we just want pleasure, so we pursue it all at all costs, and the temporary pleasure is great until we experience the fallout. Or maybe maybe it's just deconstructing your faith. You grew up in faith, but you were hurt by the church. You got some doubts. They, the church didn't handle those well, or... And you're just like, whatever, like, I'm done with it. I'm done with God. I'm done with the church. I'm just walking away. I've kind of constructed an argument against it. A deconstruction's all the rage right now. And, and people are deconstructing for all kinds of reasons, some understandable. And at the same time, it's a form of running from God. Sometimes we run from God consciously, sometimes we just do this subconsciously. Uh, we didn't know that God has a plan for marriage and sex. So, we were getting serious with our significant other, and we just decided, you know what? We're going to move in together. That's what our friends are doing. Culture says it's a good idea. Let's do it. Or, or maybe you didn't really grow up in a family of faith, and you haven't really thought much about God. It just hasn't been top of mind. Everything, your needs have always been met. Life's been good enough. You haven't really thought of God much. Uh, maybe you know that, that that person, like, they deserve your forgiveness. Well, they don't deserve it, but you should extend your forgiveness to them, but you don't, you don't want to forgive them because of what they said, because of what they did. So you don't. We all run from God in different ways. I, I was tempted to run from God when I was looking for that job after seminary, right? Kind of ironic. Seminary student, pastor, doesn't want to do what God's calling him to do. But we get on, we get on an airplane. We go to Maine because we don't have any real other options. So we go out to interview for this weekend, it was a very busy weekend and it was all right. Like, you know, it was kind of what I expected. We're on the flight back to Denver and Amanda turns to me and she says, "'I think God's calling us to me." And I go, "'Ah, I don't think so. I'm not there yet." And I wasn't, because I wanted to live here. And even when we were there interviewing, I was actually reaching out to churches here asking, if there were job opportunities. And there was a church that got back to us, and it you know, was like, OK, cool, like it's in Boulder, that's kind of neat. Like, but it was in a ministry position I knew wasn't a fit for me. I was tempted to take that role, though, because it meant staying here. We, we try to run from God, but Psalm 139, 7 reminds us this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Uh, What Jonah soon found out is that while God will let us run, we can never escape his presence. If we continue in the story, we'll see this. Verse 4 and following. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. <laughs> okay. Okay. Like, how dumb is Jonah? Like, yeah, of course, God's the, the, the God of heaven. He created the sea and the dry land. And then here's Jonah trying to run from God on a boat. Like, how dumb is Jonah? Like, what a, what a joke. Sailors aren't joking, though. They're in the storm of their lives. Verse 10, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to, to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, this appears like a, like a self-sacrificing, noble act of Jonah. Just Just throw me overboard. All will be good. Your problem will be solved. Appears noble. It might just be the most selfish thing Jonah said yet. I mean, think about it. If Jonah's thrown overboard and he dies in the sea, he succeeds. He's not in Nineveh like God called him to Nineveh. And his blood's on their hands. The the sailors are terrified. They don't want anything to do with this God who has made a. uh, They're terrified. Like, what's. We do not want to get in this God's way. Like Jonah's saying, hey, like, I ticked God off. We don't want to tick God off. So the story continues. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. They don't want Jonah's blood on their hands, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. At a loss, they tried everything that they knew to try. At a loss, the sailors given, they throw Jonah overboard and they they repent of it as they do so. They're like, God, please do not hold us accountable for this. And then God calmed the raging sea. Verse 16 begins, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. The the Hebrew word that's translated feared there is the same word translated as worship in verse 5, where Jonah said, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea in the dry land uh, throughout the old testament that word can be translated as feared worshiped it also can be translated as revered i mean the irony here we have we have jonah the great prophet of god who claims that he reveres god and yet is running from god and then we've got the sailors these pagan sailors who are introduced to this God and they truly revere him and worship him. How many of us are like Jonah? We claim to revere God, but our life is telling the opposite. It's telling a story that we're running from him, running from the conversation, running from the decision, running from the move. We we, we claim to revere God, and yet we're not, we're not revering him in the way we're living our lives. Oh, how we, we who, who think we have it all together, oh, how we are in desperate need of God's grace and mercy. And it's God's grace and mercy that he extended to Jonah. He did it in a very unlikely, and improbable way. Verse, te- verse 17 says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In any other circumstance, being swallowed by a f- big fish, certain death, but In this story, everything's upside down. And God uses the most improbable of ways to get Jonah's attention, to actually save Jonah's life and reorient his life around what he has for him. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. It's starting to make a little bit of sense, though, as to why Jesus would equate himself with Jonah. In Matthew 12, 39 through 41, Jesus said this. He answered, "'A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, "'but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. "'For as Jonah was three days and three nights "'in the belly of a huge fish, "'so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights "'in the heart of the earth. "'The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment "'with this generation and condemn it. "'For they repented at the preaching of Jonah.' That's coming in a couple of weeks. And now something greater than Jonah is here. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, Jesus was dead for three days. And and as Jonah was saved by God from his running from him through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are saved from our running from God, too how how does god do this by running after us jesus is proof of this and jesus actually told a story a pretty famous story mark twain says it's the best story ever told and in that story well let me just read it to you this is this is the story of the prodigal sons luke 15. jesus continued he's talking to a a mixed crowd okay And Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out, Uh, to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything when he came to his senses he said how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here i am starving to death i will set out and go back to my father and say to him father i have sinned against heaven and against you i'm no longer worthy to be called your son make me Like one of your hired servants so he got up and he went to his father but while he was still a long way off his father saw him was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him the son said to him "Uh, father i've sinned against heaven and against you i'm no longer worthy to be called your son but the father said to his servants quick My son, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad I'm, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Uh, when, when we run from God, we assume that God doesn't want anything to do with us anymore uh, because of what we said, did, because of how we squandered what he gave us. Uh, because of how we turned our back on him Uh, we come up with all kinds of crazy stories about what how we think God's going to respond to us all kinds of crazy stories and yet there is only one story that's true God is running after you he loves you unconditionally he wants a relationship with you he sent Jesus to make that possible Jesus who died a sacrificial death on the cross For the price of your sins and my sins but he didn't stay dead he victoriously rose from the dead so that you and me can have the confidence to walk in new life both now and forever with god life with god like we were created to experience from the very beginning and part of life with god is pursuing the purposes that he has for us Uh, ephesians 2 8 and 9 tell us this In verse 10, excuse me, uh, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. By God's grace and mercy, we are saved from our sin. And by God's grace, we are saved for a life of purpose and impact. And life with God is is lived out in that, in that whole realm. No longer are we running from God. We are now running with him. Jonah, the prophet of God, who should have understood this, failed to. We're not going to be like Jonah. We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be people who are compassionate, not because we deem them worthy of it, but because God has shown us so much mercy ourselves. Uh, We're a people who are blessed to be a blessing to those around us. God has so richly blessed us, so we let that overflow in the way that we relate with those who are still far from him. Uh, And as a church, we are a front porch for prodigals, where God can meet them with open arms. And when even one comes home, we're not like the older brother. We party with heaven when one comes home. And we don't simply worship God with our words. We worship God with our lives. Going when God says go. Loving the one we don't even like. That's who we are. And what we learn from Jonah and what's made possible for us through Jesus is this. Stop running from God and start revering the God who's running after you. Uh, When I I finally stopped dragging my feet and accepted that God was, in fact, calling us to Maine, I got to tell you, there was so much fruit, so much joy on the other side of that that act of faithfulness. Uh, Part of God confirming, like, no, I'm calling you, to, to Maine was a, a passage in John 4. Uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I read that verse uh, that day, and I like, clicked. Uh, the there's there's story's too long to share now, but I, I was like, it felt like God was speaking directly to me. Like, I'm calling you to Portland, Maine, to be a part of the gospel being spread and received there, but you didn't do the hard work. You're just going to experience the the reaping, the benefits of the labor. And I got to tell you, that's exactly what God did over those four years. We got to be a part of many people coming to save in faith in Jesus, and it was very easy work. Not every day was easy, but the work, God was just doing it. I was a it was a blast. And that's, that's true for all of us. When, when we start to, to walk and run with God, that's where true joy is found. Because we're, we're starting, instead of living life at odds with him, we're now living life united with him. Now, some of us, some of us, we need to put down our plans so we can pursue God's purposes. Uh, Some of us need to start loving that one that we've been avoiding. All of us need God's mercy and grace to cover us. Because we are all in need of Jesus. The one who reconciles us with God. The one who makes that relationship with God possible. Uh, There was a divide caused by our sin, but Jesus stood in the gap so we can now stand before God. Uh, maybe, Maybe you have been at odds with God. Maybe it was a deliberate choice. Maybe it was just something subconsciously, but you realize, yeah, I've been running from him. I didn't even know that he loved me. I didn't know that he wanted a relationship with me. But as I hear that from his word, i want that i want a relationship with god jesus makes that possible and if you've never received jesus as the savior for the sins that you've committed and you've never decided you're going to follow him as the lord of your life i want to give you an opportunity to do that so what we're going to do is i'm going to invite everyone we can all bow our heads and if you know jesus i would invite you right now to pray for those around you who might not know him and that that The Holy Spirit would work and that these people people would want to follow Jesus they want to turn towards him and if you you haven't followed Jesus but you want to start following Jesus I would invite you to pray a very simple prayer I'll, I'll model it now you can pray it in your own heart your own words my words aren't magical but you can pray this and you can tell Jesus that you want him to forgive you for your sin so let's pray god thank you for your love thank you for sending jesus your son to pay the 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 debt for my sin i'm a sinner i I dropped the ball i have run from you i have disobeyed you and i'm sorry would you please forgive me jesus i want to follow you with my life so would you give me your holy spirit to transform me and to help me follow you. We ask this in your name. Amen.